What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, there's certain skills that you need in life to move from where you are to where you want to be. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Michael Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. Well, welcome to episode 171. We get to sit down with a great, great, great friend of mine, Brian Dodd. Brian's newest book, Mighty, has just come out. If you don't know Brian, he is an author. He's a leadership consultant. He has the ability to truly synthesize information in a way that is just so unique. And in this book, Mighty, on the seven skills you need to move from pandemic to progress, you're going to find some skills in there that not only are you going to resonate with, but you're going to go, I need to grow into. Brian, uh, man, his his leadership blog is one of the best out there. His mind for leadership and, and is a leadership thought leader. He's one of the best. So you are in for an absolute good time over this next hour. So I don't know where you're listening from today. But I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Brian Dodd. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me again on this episode of Lynch with the Leader. It's an honor to have you, buddy. It is an honor to be here. It's my second time, so I'm thrilled to be back. So. Second time, and you hold the distinction of eating the most meals with me of any of the guests I've ever had. There you go. Well, I, you know, if you got to hang your hat on something— that work, that works for me. By the hey, way, we need to add to that number too. So. Yes, we do. We are way. We, in fact, we had a hard time even getting on the episode because we're trying to catch up. So, talk to me real quick. I love your new book. And when you threw first threw out the name to me, uh, the mighty, the seven skills you need from to move from pandemic to progress. Where did the title "Pandemic to Progress" even come up? What was sort of the genesis of that? Okay, great question. So um, uh, this is this, you know, you have leaders listening to this podcast. And here's what I know, every leader has a book in them, or they have another book in them. So that, you know, that's just kind of standard with leaders with leaders. But so I'll, I'll give you a two part answer. Number one, the name mighty. It's a one word title. So I was doing some study on what are good and best selling book titles. And it came across that most of the great book titles are one word. Hmm. And if you think about it, like Drive by Daniel Pink or Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell or, you know, those type of things, you know, very few titles, the subtitles long, but the very few titles are long. So um, Mighty was a result of some teaching that I had done on David's Mighty Men that had gotten some great response so a birth was a book was birthed out of that. But now to answer your question about from pandemic to progress. So we have a mutual friend named Jason Stoughton. 
And Jason and I were together at one of John Maxwell's Live to Lead events. And uh, we were talking and he goes, Brian, I've got this thing that I'm really thinking about and wrestling with. And it's called From Pandemic to Progress. And he goes, now don't steal it. And we just started laughing. I said, I won't steal it. I said, I love it, though. I think it's fantastic. I I won't. But it's yours. I mean, I won't touch it, you know. And uh, I didn't touch it. But about a year later, I'm looking for the subtitle and thinking about the book and its content. And that was coming back. And I called him up and I said, Jason, have you done anything with that pandemic to progress line? He goes, no, I hadn't done it. You know, I haven't done anything with it. And I said, let me ask you a question. If I give you total credit and really promote you in the process would you let me use that as part of the subtitle for my next book? Mm. And Jason in true John Maxwell fashion, John Maxwell would have been so proud of him. Jason goes, Brian, if you think it'll add value to people, you go ahead and use it. Mm, What a great line. And uh, in true John Maxwell fashion. And uh, so, you know, in the forward of the book, I talk about Jeff Struker, um, who's the pastor that was part of Black Hawk Down. And I also talk about Jason Stoughton. That's right. And give him credit for uh, for his uh, wonderful contribution to my latest book. So bottom line, studying book titles and what really works. Um, the name was birthed out of some yeah. speeches that I'd been given. And a friend of mine... Uh, in a random conversation, gave me what would ultimately become the subtitle and then gave me permission to use it. So a lot of puzzle pieces going into the title, but that's how we got to the title. That's really good. And and I love David, you know, and I love how you found King David, not kicking his feet up in the palace, but really at a really unsettled time in David's life. What was it about David? that gave him the opportunity to bring these this band of uh, misfits in a lot of ways, but they became mighty men. What was it about David and his leadership that you think caused them to do things they probably wouldn't have ordinarily done? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, the time period of this book is 1018 to 1014 B.C., And David is on the run. He's in the wilderness. Uh, Saul was not somebody big on succession planning. You know, (laughs) Uh, his his plan was to assassinate his successor. That's right. And they tried to do it. By the way, in many parts of the world, that is still normative. Uh, In America, we're not far above that. We assassinate character, Mm -hmm. you know, and intellect and stuff like that. But... uh, so David, David's on, in the wilderness, and he's on the run. And I love what the Bible says in 1 Samuel. He attracted people, everyone in distress, in debt, and discontented. So, I mean, <laughs> look, they're all in the wilderness for a reason as well. That's but right. All of those skills that David had, the, the skills as a warrior, going back to David and Goliath, the skills he had learned as a shepherd in terms of caring for people and his worship of God, uh, and sacrifice 
and doing things with excellence and the skills he developed as a musician, you know, being exact and being in rhythm and the process and things of that nature. All of those skills that David had, he took with him into the wilderness. Mm. So when he collected this group of individuals, there were 37 men in particular that he formed into an elite fighting force so elite that they're known throughout history as David's mighty men. And so that's where the title mighty comes from. Um, but, but yeah, those, the, that's what David was doing during that four year period. So David ends up just having an incredible life with some, with some hiccups in that life. Do you believe that every person's got in them the opportunity to be mighty do you think that everybody's got that down in the engine room of their lives if the right person calls it out? Okay, you and I are going to laugh about this in just a moment, but I'm going to answer the question, then we're going to elaborate, okay? I believe God has imprinted mightiness on every human heart and every human soul. I believe he has imprinted significance in every person's life. Uh, I believe he has imprinted everybody for greatness, however you want to determine, you know, define that word. So yes, I believe that every human being, I'll use your term, God made on purpose for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so one of the hopes of this book is for people who are like, you know, I, I want to do something great with my life. I've just got this burning passion in me. I just feel I was made for more than this. I don't even know where to start or how to do it. I just know I want to do something. Well, the seven skills, that is for you. Yeah. Um, also, the seven skills are for anybody that, okay, I'm finding my purpose or I found my purpose, but I, I'm I'm not going to be a finished product till I get to heaven. I want to get better. Well, that's for them too. And to answer the question, you had sent me that question in advance, and it just made me laugh. Mike, you and I have known each other for 25 years now. Yep. Late 90s is when we we started attending North Star. Um, let's go back 25 years. Did you ever foresee a day that that young guy named Brian Dodd would ever write a best-selling book that other people would exchange hard-earned U.S. currency to say, yeah, I care what that guy thinks and what he wrote down? You know, it's so funny, Brian. Around the edges, no. But I could see those flashes of brilliance. You really could. And I know you couldn't, but on the outside, as a uh as a person like a, a like a baseball scout, you saw it. I could see promise. Now, to the level you've taken it, no. But I could see those little those little how you would you saw things differently than everybody else, which is a is a special thing. But but in the context, would would you have said he's going to be all that? Probably not. But God did. That was the cool part, though, wasn't it? Right. And 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 that's the point. So yep. when I get when I get asked the question and it's not false humility, I mean, you you've known me 25 years. When somebody asks me, can anybody become mighty and can anybody do great things for God and can anybody do something of significance with their life? I'm exhibit A. Mm, 
That's that good. God that God can literally that God can literally use anybody. Uh, I wrote about my background in the book Timeless, so we won't go into it on this, but I should have been a statistic. Mm. Everything was lined up that I was going to be a statistic, but God intersected my life just like David intersected these people's lives in the wilderness who were in distress, in debt, and discontented. By the way, that probably would have described me except I was a teenager. I didn't have the opportunity to be in debt or I would have. Um, But then he brings other people around. I mean, there's been countless people throughout my life, guys like you, that everybody has seen a little something and pulled out a little mm-hmm. something at different stages of my life. And, uh, and yeah, if you're a person listening to this and you just think there's more out there for you, I would tell you there is. Mm-hmm. And let's try to develop a plan to pull that out. Well, now, I think this book, I think this book nails that. And I like what you said earlier. I think it, it gives us a, a framework, a game plan to live this out. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to unpack three of the seven skills that you talk about my favorite thing that you did in this book is you taught it out of a story. And I just think God left us those stories. You know, how I feel about this. God left us those stories because they're timeless and they're going to be, they're going to be true a hundred years from now. They're not just 2023 true. They're, they're going to be true forever. And you take the story of David and his band of mighty men. And the first thing you talk about in this skill set is the skill set of production. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what this means and how does it usually get noticed? Yeah, so I, I listed production first just so the readers will understand this. It's an order of the passage, so it's not more important than That's the right. other seven. In fact, I would say number seven is the most important, but it's just an order of the passage. Uh, production ultimately puts the stamp of approval on your leadership. Because a leader stands up and he says, okay, this is where I think God's telling us to go. This is what I want my program to look like. This is what I want uh, our business to look like. This is what I think our family could be. And here's where we're going. We paint this picture and you say, follow me. And you enlist a group of individuals to take this journey with you. You ultimately, at the end of the day, the question is asked, did we actually get there or not? Mm, mm. You know, um, and I, I, I love, you know, I love production. This is not in the book. It's in one of my other books. But I, but I now tell this when I, when I speak. We all know the name Chesley Sullenberger. Okay. And do you know why we know the name Sully? Because he landed a U.S. Airways 280 bus. He landed it in the Potomac or not the Potomac, in the Hudson River, and all 155 passengers got out safely. He delivered the results. Mm. That's why he's got an autobiography. That's why he's got a movie named after him. That's why we all know the name. That's why Tom Hanks played him. And I tell people Nicolas Cage would have played him if he would have crashed and nobody would have got out. But but Tom Hanks played him. So we know Sully because of accomplishment. So accomplishment ultimately puts the stamp of approval on your leadership. Does that scare some people off that they're going to be known for if it doesn't fail? Do you think that keeps a lot of people on the sidelines? I think it can. 
it, that just depends on how the, do you own the vision or the vit or does the vision own you? Mm -hmm. I mean, is there something burning in you so much that it, it's gotta be, Hey, this thing may not work, but I at least got to try. I've at least got to see what can happen if we take these steps. I'm not a natural risk taker. And I often wonder when I get to heaven, is there going to be a lot of stuff left on the playing field? Cause yeah. I didn't, I didn't take the risk. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that level of accountability, that level of notoriety, everybody loves the benefits of leadership, mm. the corner office, the increased salary, maybe a nicer house, extra vacation, expense accounts, flying first, you know, all these perks that come with it. But there is a significant price that is also paid with leadership. And honestly, a lot of people may not be willing to pay the price needed to achieve the dream that, that God has put in their heart. So, you know, you, you talk in this area of production and the skill about elite training mm -hmm. and you quoted Tom Mullins, great pastor down in Florida. It's all about consistency of the execution of the fundamentals, which makes us stand out. What are some of the daily fundamentals you see productive people doing in this area? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times a church word that's used now is systems could be what's called processes, those type of things. Uh, let me briefly uh, give context to what uh, Pastor Tom, yeah. he's, he's called coach by his people because he used to be a college football coach. So they call him coach. So I'll, back in the seventies, he was coaching uh, football for Georgetown university, not Georgetown in Maryland, but Georgetown in North Kentucky. And like a lot of coaches do, they take their team to look at other programs. So him and his coaching staff went first to watch the Ohio state Buckeyes. And then they left there and went to the, to the August practice of the Cincinnati Bengals. So then they came back and said, what did we learn? And here's what they learned. We were doing the same drills. We were doing them at the same times. We had the same weightlifting routine. But what was the difference between them and us? Number one, they were a lot bigger and stronger. Mm -hmm. But number two, they executed the fundamentals at an elite level. I, I'm going to answer Mike's question, but everybody listening, if you want to become mighty and become the person you were meant to be and to see your dreams become reality, the fundamentals of that dream must be executed consistently and at an elite level. So, uh, so I, I'll, I'll use me as an example. Day starts out quiet time, start every day with God. You know, first voice I want to hear, it frames the entire day for me. Yep. So I'm, I'm responding to things, not reacting to them. Okay. And I've got a biblical worldview in which I can process the things that come. I, I'm in sales. So I'm going to go through my process just to give you an example, but you apply it to you. Up until nine o'clock, my customers are not in the office yet. So I'm doing emails, I'm working on projects, I'm putting together contracts or proposals. I create a lot of content for our organization. So I'm doing all that in times I cannot talk to customers, okay? From nine to 10 for East Coast, I talk to my um, coldest leads, I think would be the way to put it, okay? Because a lot of times people get in, but they got to get their rhythm going and things like that. From 10 to 11.30, uh, I'm going after my hottest leads mm. because if nothing else, they could call me back in the afternoon, 1130 to 1230 is lunch. 
Okay. 1230, I start doing the same process, but with West Coast customers. Okay. And so I do that all throughout the afternoon. And from 430 to 5, I'm planning for the next day, winding down, answering some emails, things of that nature. But I do the same process every day. Uh, I am the epitome of Jim Collins, the hedgehog principle. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, too. I don't, I don't know if this will come up later, but I have two main measurements in my job. It's called BPs and contracts. BP stands for board presentations. How often do we get in front of decision makers at local churches? So a presentation to a board and contracts are how many of those boards wish to employ our services. And I try to teach our team this. Um, if every action I take, and th- if every action I take does not have the opportunity to result in a BP or a contract, I don't need to be doing it. Mm. I have to edit those things from my life. And, you know, I actually, I, ta- I kind of, I referenced that in the third point of productivity called efficiency. Yep. But yes, in terms of systems and things of that nature, you must edit your life and anything that does not allow your goals and objectives as a husband, a father, an employee, a coach, a scout, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, if an activity does not help you achieve your results in that area, you don't need to be doing that activity. You know, and in that, I love what you talked about. There's a great attention to detail. Um what is it about the, and you meet with them all the time. You talk to them all the time. You interviewed them for your book. You read about them. What do you think causes these great leaders to have such an attention to detail to like the fundamentals that coach Mullins talked about? Yeah. What is it in them? Why are they different than some people walk by it? They don't see it. The leader always sees it. Why do you think that is? Okay. Cause and I put this in quotations, but successful leaders are in, or I'll talk in context of the book, mighty leaders, they make big things out of little things because they know little things will become big things in big moments. So let's really, say that again, Brian, this is, I want you guys to get this, say that yeah. again. They make big things out of little things. You've probably heard that statement, but you've probably not heard the second statement because they know little things will become big things in big moments. So let me give you a very basic example. And I'll give one from business and I'll give one from athletics. One from business. If I'm not focused on doing correct grammar and making sure things are sharp and things are done well, I may present somebody a six-figure contract, and I didn't change the name of the business. I just copied and pasted a previous agreement, and, oh, I forgot that line on page three, paragraph two. Mm, mm. Okay, that's a little thing, but in big moments, it's a big thing, Mm. you know? That's really good. Athletics, athletics, and I've heard coaches talk about this. During, During the heat of July and August, when they are teaching discipline and things like that, that's going to show up in the fourth quarter of a big game when everybody's exhausted and it's 95 degrees in South Florida with a hundred percent humidity. 
and it's third and two, and the quarterback's doing a hard count trying to draw you off sides and get a that's first right. down. And so what happens is that's a little thing. That was a little thing in August, don't jump off sides, that in a big game in the last two minutes, that little thing turns into a big thing at a big moment. So, yeah, uh, the, the challenge with making uh, every little things or big things is, boy, as a leader, you got to be careful or you can wear your team out over yeah. the minutest of details. Yep. Yep. But you got to find that healthy balance of, hey, we're an affirming and equipping environment and things like that. But we do do things with excellence because it is going to show up at important times. You know, it's so funny. And for so many leaders, it's trash. Like they see, they have Superman vision on trash. I remember Ira, who's a good friend of both of ours, Ira Blumenthal traveled the world with Dave from Wendy's and they would fly city to city. And Ira was doing an intro for him and, and and doing a public thing for him uh, speaking. And he said, everywhere they went, they would go visit the Wendy's restaurant. And the very first thing Dave would do was walk around the outside and pick up trash. It's crazy. And I hear that story all the time, but it's that attention to detail. What you you may walk by, somebody else is going to see. Yeah. You want to hear my favorite story on trash and I'll make it quick. Yeah. Benny Tate, the great pastor of Rock Springs Church in Milner, Georgia. Okay. Runs thousands and thousands of people in a town you've never heard of unless you live in Milner or right next to it. So he was training his staff on that issue. And he had a clear Sprite bottle and he dropped a hundred dollar bill in it and left it just out near where you walked in. He opens his staff meeting by going, all 50 of y'all walked past this Sprite bottle. And he held it up and he pulls out the hundred dollar bill. And he said, if any of you would have picked it up, you'd have got a hundred dollar bill. Wow. There was never any trash left again <laughs> on that property. That's fantastic. That's yeah. Jamie. Let me put a ten dollar bill. I won't yeah. be able to put a hundred dollar bill in there, but I'll put a ten buck bill in there. That's <laughs> fantastic. Well, here's what I love about each one of these skills. We mm. can literally do a podcast episode off every skill. That's why I told I told Brian for those of you listening in. I said we're only going to do three of them because. I can't get it anymore. And I want, I want you to go get this book because it is so good. So you talked about production. Then you talked about passion and you talked about a character in the story, Eleazar, ever how we pronounce his name, his hand, when he was doing battle, this is, a, I did a whole football talk off this, his hand clung to the sword. Yeah. Why do you love that so much, Brian? I, I Look, I do love that. I love the imagery of it. You know, yes. a lot of times when we read Bible passages and Bible stories, we just water ski over them, and we don't stop for a couple of seconds and put ourselves into that story. You know, like, I'll give you a simple example. In, in the New Testament, and Jesus was flogged and. Yeah. And we just read by it, and we don't understand what it means to be flogged. That's right. Okay, so in this one, great story. So Eleazar is with a group of individuals, and they encounter some Philistines. And the group of individuals flee. And it's just Eleazar against this army. And he, he, he wins the battle. 
But if you insert yourself into that story, when Eleazar, when it's over, I'm sure he's cut up. I'm sure he's going to need stitches. I'm sure he's a bloody mess. He's battered. He's bruised. He's probably got broken ribs. He's had maybe some teeth knocked out. I mean, he took on an army by himself. He was so passionate that literally they had to come up to him. And I just, I've got this image in my mind of Eleazar, it's okay. We, we won. It's over. Eleazar, you can let go of the sword now. Eleazar, give me the sword, you know, and I just had this image that that's what's going on. And they literally have to pry the sword out of his hand. I, uh, and it's the athlete that you've got to tear the jersey off of them. Mm, mm. It's the my wife is I will use the word retiring uh, from on the recording. Today's her last day at her current position. Last night they were having problems with the phone system. Everybody else had left, and she's there to like six o'clock with the phone people trying to get the phones to work. And I'm like, honey, you're you're amazing. You you do realize you've you've quit honey she goes goes, i'm gonna have to go in on friday because i gotta finish up training tomorrow i'm gonna have to go in on friday and get this phone thing fixed i said honey they're gonna take your keys and deactivate your key card at the end of the day tomorrow you're not you're not going in on friday that is prying your that's prying from somebody's hand and uh yes i i do and i also love the imagery that the people that left him came back to get the spoils of the victory. Yeah, yeah. And you've got this unbelievable contrast of passion people and photo op people. Mm. You know, they come back to get their picture made and look at our conqueror, and we're going to, you know, back then as warriors, your compensation was livestock, fine linens, gold jewelry, whatever you could take from the people you just conquered, that was your compensation. They all come back. They get the spoils of victory. Meanwhile, we've got the passion person over here who is bloodied, battered, beaten, and they're prying the sword from it. And here's the thing. In every organization, you've got passion people and you got photo op people. Yep. yep. And the key as a leader is to try to move photo op people to passion people. And that is an uphill task. Most leaders pray that they'll find something they are passionate about and go do that and then replace them with passionate people. But every organization's got passion people and photo op people. Yeah, and I, you know, I heard Jack Llewellyn say years ago, the famous sports psychologist, we can't flip other people's switches. And if they aren't that, it is very, very hard to move them to that. And I loved your definition of passion. You said it's owning the result. Yeah. Passionate people own the result. What does that mean? Yeah. So when I speak to audiences, you know, y'all, and you're a master of this, you always want to keep the audience engaged. So you're like, define passion for me. And they will be like energy and zeal, you know, and things like that. And, you know, you know, and, and I say, all of those answers are correct. Everyone of them's correct. Let me wrap it all, or let me bundle them all up into a phrase. You own the result. Mm. And what that means is that is the 
the over my dead body, is this not going to happen type of thing. It's the, if I'm the only one that's got to take on that army, I'm taking on that army. Uh, it is by hook or by crook, somehow I'm going to figure this out or I'm going to go down trying. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, it is, that's what passion is. Passion is not, you know, a rah-rah speech or a want to or something of that nature. Those really have to do more with a person's personality and they may be an expression of passion. But when you peel that back, at the end of the day, it's okay, we're going to own the result of this and we're mm -hmm. going to leave it all on the field and we're going to give everything that we've got to, to see in this dream of ours become reality. That is, that's probably my favorite definition I've ever heard of it. And, you know, I think back to Tebow's days with Florida after they lost a game they shouldn't have lost. Everybody remembers the old locker room speech where he basically says, we aren't going to lose again. And there's just this energy that comes with it. And there's an ownership. And you and Kevin Burrell, and I, this is probably one of my favorite parts of the book. Kevin Burrell's a great friend of yours, great friend of mine. Kevin's a longtime Major League Baseball scout. He's been on a previous episode, but we all call him KB. KB had three levels of ownership. You added a fourth. Yeah. So I want to talk about these real quick. The level one person is people you loathe it. Talk right. to me about what loathing people do in a work environment. Yeah, so Kevin has the other three. So he mentioned when he's scouting people, he puts them in those categories. He's the other three. I added loathe it to it. Loathe it means you hate your job. Mm. It, it, is, it is just that. It is you don't want to be there. Uh, you, don't you don't like the people. You don't like the task. You don't like the assignment. You have quietly quit. You will do the absolute bare minimum, or you may even do less than the bare minimum. You loathe it. So... That's the first level of passion. You you loathe it, okay? And do you want to introduce the? Yeah. Well, you you go from you loathe it to you like it. I yeah. Mean, you, yeah. I like I like coming yeah. to work. I, I'm good with it. Yeah, I like it. I like the people. I like what I do. You know, I, I like it here. Yeah. But when something better comes along, I'm going to take it. You know, is yeah, that hard I'm to spot, Brian? If you walk in an organization, can you see that pretty quick? You can see it, but here's the interesting. Of the four, the most dangerous person is not the one that loathes it. The most dangerous person is the one that likes it because they never get on anybody's radar, and they always do good just a good enough a job that they'll never be terminated, removed, or anything of that nature. But they'll never advance your mission and vision either. Yeah, they're 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 the forty five mile an hour people. They're not going to get a speeding ticket, and they're not going too slow. Right. As long as there's a budget for it, you'll probably work here indefinitely. Mm -hmm. But you're never going to help us get to the next level. And the and the next category, the level three people, is you love it. It's a great job, great endeavor. Can't imagine doing anything else. And I'm really beginning to find my purpose in that. Right. Yeah, and we love love it people. I mean, you want these people on your team, even though there's a higher level. Man, if you give me a team full of people that love it, we can accomplish some great things. Mm. I mean, so that you know, uh, no, no shade being thrown at the love it people. You know, and are, are they are they typically always have an eye out 
for another organization or what, what's been your okay. thinking so on that? I've been there at times. You don't have an eye out, but you could be wooed. Mm. I, I mean, you love what you're doing. You're not looking. This is the infamous, I never want to recruit somebody who's unemployed or unhappy. Yeah. I want to recruit people who love what they do, who are successful at what they do. Okay. So if you're able to recruit them, then I would say they were probably in the love it category where they were previously. Yeah. That's good. And, and the final, the final one you talk about, and I've never thought about it this way, you and KB, you live it 24 mm-hmm. seven. It's what you were talking about with Sonia 24 seven, all in peel the sword out of my hand. I, when you cut me, I believe, I yeah. believe this, right? Yeah. So I, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. So I kind of, I kind of live my job and I, I want to address something that Keith, coach Keith Madison taught you and I just so I can give the listeners some context when I get done with this. Um, so I work with West coast churches and I live on the East coast and most church meetings happen at night because lay leaders work regular jobs during the day. So they have their meetings at night. Brian, can we do a Zoom call at 8 o'clock our time and take maybe an hour, hour and a half and just kind of go over some sequencing and planning? Well, the answer is absolutely. I don't have to even think twice about it. You know what? So I'm going to jump on that call at 11 11 p.m. my time and go to after midnight. And then, by the way, be up about 6, 6.30 the next morning, start the next day. That's right. That's okay. I live it. I mean, God has given me... Uh, calling in my life to serve and equip leaders. Fortunately, he's also allowed me to do that from a compensation standpoint. So if it if a particular group of leaders needs equipment at 11 p.m. my time, guess what we're going to do? We're going to equip right. them. Now, so obviously when you talk about living it, somebody's going to ask about the work-life balance, okay? The greatest Wisdom on this topic I ever got was from a gentleman, Coach Keith Madison, who is now with Score International. Uh, He's part of three Baseball Hall of Fames. And he says the best way to manage that is wherever you're at, you're 100% there. God, I'm with my family right now. Guess what? I'm not thinking about baseball. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about whatever. I'm 100% Mm, focused mm. on serving you with my family. Uh, By the way, I'm going to practice in an hour. When I'm at practice, I'm 100% at practice. You don't live a bifurcated life. That's right. Wherever you're at, you're there 100%. That is living it. Mm. And so, yeah, if, if if you can get a group of people who live it or scout a group of people or obtain the services of a group of people who live it, you're developing a very healthy culture and you got a very good chance of, of being very successful moving forward. You really do. And you do such a great job in the chapter telling modern day stories. I mean, you go back to Nehemiah talking about even the vision, the way passion cast vision. And then you, then you throw in coach prime who's Colorado's new coach, but does it listen, man, the guy's a genius at casting vision. Why do you think it comes so naturally from a guy like Deion Sanders, what would you say? I think I think there's a number of things that 
and I will call him Coach Prime and and show respect to the person. I saw a news conference, somebody called him Dion once and it didn't turn out good for the guy. That, uh, so uh, Coach Prime, I'm very sorry. Yeah. So Coach Prime, number one, he was a great communicator as an athlete and player. Um, he took those skills and really honed them as he became an entrepreneur and motivational speaker and then on television. And now, now as a coach, he's, he's got his communicative skill set down. I mean, you talk about production and elite training from a communicative standpoint, he has done the elite training in the area of communication. So number one, he can communicate it. But one of the stories I talk about in the book was when he was at Jackson state, he was doing a pregame speech and he said, look, 95% of you are not going to make the NFL regardless of what you're told. So I have to spend 95% of my time preparing you for life. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the reasons Dion is such a great communicator of passion is ex- without the genetic gene pool that he inherited and his work ethic to maximize his God-given you know, skills and traits he was provided, you know, Dion be like me, might be a statistic, who knows, you know? Um, So he's got a great passion for seeing young men become all that they were created to be. He's got a great passion for seeing those 5% of the athletes that have a chance to make it professionally, maximize that opportunity. But at the end of the day, he knows that not only is he turning out pro pro athletes, most of the people he's going to turn out are going to be accountants, lawyers, doctors, mm. supervisors, you know, government officials, those type of things. And he's got a great vision for each kid and what they could turn into. And he, I'll use that word, he owns the result of them becoming everything they were created to be, at least while under his care. Yeah. And his passion bleeds, man. It is so good. And I watched his first press conference and you see all the stuff he puts out and the standards he's holding those boys to. It's really, really good. The the third one that you talk about is probably one of my favorites. And I think it's such an intangible trait of great and mighty leaders. And that's resilience. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Why does a leader have to be able to be resilient, Brian? A phrase that I heard when I was very young that stuck with me, nowhere in the Bible does God call anyone to an easy task. Mm. Genesis to Revelation, or if you even want to go table of contents to maps, God never called a single individual to an easy task. Life puts up a fight, and leadership is not easy. Becoming mighty is not easy. Coming out of a pandemic and progressing from that is not easy. It takes resilience. Mm. It, it takes the ability. We one of the one of the challenges in our nation is we are we have raised a generation of emotionally thin people. And there's there's not a lot of weight or substance to that. So the ability and the way you'd build re- resilience is doing hard things. And I love the Duke women's basketball coach, uh, Kara Lawson, Coach Lawson. She says, we're going to make you do hard things. And when you get where you're good at that, we're going to give you harder things Mm -hmm. because life is hard and we're preparing you for life. And leaders have to have that ability to press through issues. By the way, 
if you're listening to this and you're going through a tough time, you need to reframe the circumstance that you're in. There is a concept I love called the gift of the gap. God has built this just like he has imprinted mightiness on every human heart. He's built in a gift of the gap in every human life. For what God's called you to do, by definition, that is a God-given assignment, okay? God-sized assignment. We are human beings. We can only do so much, so there's a gap. When that gap happens and life gets tough and leadership gets tough, God builds in the gap Mm. so that we press into him and say, God, without you, this is not going to work. And then, God, and then God begins to bring people into our life or give us resources or give us thoughts we never had or something of that nature, maybe lets us fail. And we learn from failure, you know, but there is a gift of the gap in everyone's leadership. No tree mm. grows all the way to the sky. There's a gift in every leadership or a gap in every leadership, but it's a gift mm. because that gift forces us to press into God and rely on God uh, for the success or lack of success that, that we'll ever achieve in our leadership. You gave a great quote in the book from the fighter pilot, Carrie Lorenz. Mm-hmm. She said, resilience is what you need when everything is blowing up in your face. And anybody that's lived long enough has oh. been surrounded by fire and calamity and catastrophe and just, Lord, I can't even... I can't lead my family to the bathroom today. Yeah. Just leave and lead an organization. <laughs> you know, yep. we've, we've all been there. You know? What does that leader have to remember? So life blows up in their face. Maybe they can control it. Maybe they can't control it. Maybe it was something that they caused. Maybe it was something that just happened. What's a first step of resilience you think brian for that leader to begin this bounce back okay so first step is don't quit okay that's the first step uh but now that i've not quit now that i've said no i'm going to press into the issue i was called to this uh, i knew it wouldn't be easy so guess what i'm i'm now it's not easy so i need to frame what i'm in and i talk about two things in the book storms of perfection and storms of correction And you got to know which one you're in. Mm. So the storms of perfection, that concept comes from Mark chapter four. It's the very famous passage where Jesus says, peace be still in the raging storm in the sea calm. Okay. The interesting thing about the disciples on the boat who were saying, master, don't you care if we perish? Jesus, quote unquote, constrained them to go on the boat, Mm -hmm. made them get on the boat. Those disciples weren't doing nothing wrong. In fact, they were doing something right. They were being obedient to Jesus and following him. And now here they are thrust into this storm, literally fearing for their life. And once again, we water ski over that passage. But if you think about it, waves are crashing in over the boat. You know, you see the planks starting to peel off and things like that. You're out in the middle. It's dark. You know, we all know how the sea is at night. It's dark. Uh, so we don't put ourselves in that, but they did nothing to cause that. Mm. And when, and when something is happening that, you know, I had nothing to do with this, you need to rest in the assurance that I'm in a storm of perfection. Mm. 
and okay, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it. I'm going to try to fix the problem. Leaders engage the issue. Leaders rally their team. Leaders rally resources. I'm going to do all the fundamentals of leadership I know how to do, but I'm in a storm of perfection, and I realize two things. Number one, I'm coming out of this better than I went into it. I'll be smarter, more equipped, more resilient. I'll have skills on the back end I don't have now. And second thing I realize, all storms have one thing in common. They pass. That's right. This will pass. Okay. Mm, storm, is... of, storm of perfection. <clears throat> Storms of correction. Uh, these are the ones we don't like. We cause these. Bad choices, bad attitudes, bad decisions, bad people skills, bad hires, you know, bad financial management. I mean, the you know the bad habits bad diet i mean yep. these are the storms we created and what we've got to do on those storms and i tell the story too in the production chapter on when i was notified i had diabetes one of the things i had to realize is that was a storm of correction that i caused no one made me eat all that all that pie all those years. No one made me be hooked up to a Chick-fil-A sweet tea IV for 30 years. You know, I caused that. Um, and so when you do it, you have to own it. You have to say, okay, now that we are where we are, what can I do to, to learn from this? What can I do to correct this? What can we do to be better people moving forward, a better organization moving forward? You know, that's what you've got to do in the storm of correction. Now, here's the challenge on the storm of correction, too, that most people got to, you just got to know it. When you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like your choices. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of times you're in a storm of correction because of your choices. The consequences of your choices are going to have to play out. We, we get to make our choices and we get to choose our choices, but we don't get to choose our consequences. That's right. So they got to play out and you just got to be willing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick an extreme example. Okay. A husband cheats on their wife. Okay. You may be forgiven, but there's going to be consequences to that for a long time that just have to play out. Yep. I mean, that's just, that's the nature of it. Now, here's another thing that's interesting, Mike, on those two choices. Sometimes someone else's storm of correction becomes my storm of perfection. That's right. That's right. Uh, once again, an extreme example. Someone has too much to drink and they get behind the wheel of a car and they go through an intersection. Their storm of correction is about to become somebody else's storm of perfection. Mm. And, uh, you know, you just got to know what storm you're in. You got to have the self-awareness, the intuitiveness, the insight, the wisdom. And then you just got to say, okay, this is where I'm at. So this is what I need to do moving out of it. You know, and also, and I like what you said, Brian, all storms end. And I'm telling you guys, this book, you, you've gotten just a, a glimpse of what's in this book. And there's so many great stories and you're such a great researcher and, and, uh, uh, that brings together all walks of life. As, as we wrap up today, Brian, 
Would you mind praying over those that are listening and praying over that mightiness that's in them that they will begin to live out who God created them to be? Yeah, absolutely. Let's so let's let's pray. Um, Lord, I, I'm really humbled right now to come before you, and I'm coming before you on behalf of people who want to accomplish something great with their life for you. Lord, you've put something in their heart that they know they're born for something more than this. Or Lord, they're either on that journey and and they just want to get to this picture or this accomplishment that they're wanting to achieve, but they know they're not there yet. Lord, you've imprinted that mightiness on their heart. And that is a gift from you. And Lord, I pray that the people on this call don't deny what's on their heart. They feed it. Mm -hmm. And they lean into you and they search for you, and they ask for your help. And Lord, if things like this podcast or the Mighty Book or relationships that they have, if you can bring something into their life that'll fan that flame that they're experiencing on the inside, Lord, I pray that for them. And Lord, we just talked about storms. If anybody right now is in the middle of a storm, um, Lord, I pray you do give them the perseverance and the resilience to live out and get on the other side of that storm Mm. and then take the lessons from it and become an even better leader than they are today. And Lord, this is the gift of the gap. Everything I've just prayed is not possible without your help. You are the Lord of the harvest. You are the one who's given us a plan for our life and placed good works for us to walk in. And Lord, we're leaning into you and we're trusting you and we're asking for your help because we know that nothing of eternal significance happens through our own power, but it's your power working in and through us. And that's what we're asking. And Lord, we just love you. We thank you for Mike. We thank you for this vehicle called Lynch with a leader. Uh, We thank you for this format and we thank you that you put it in his heart uh, to do something great and do it through this podcast. So we just pray his audience continues to grow, impacts more people, more lives are changed and more people become the, the people that you created them to be and the leader you created them to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, every time I get to spend some time with Brian, I'm always better. There are just some people in life that you meet that when they are with you, they always bring something to the table, a new thought, a new dream, a new challenge, and Brian is one of those leaders. And I am just so thankful to call him a friend. I'm thankful that I get to sit at lunch with a leader, live with him, and and uh, so many other opportunities we get to be around each other because I always leave better. Thank you, Brian Dodd, for making us a little bit better. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode today, I want you to do me a favor and go to iTunes or wherever you listen. Leave a rating and review. It really does help people find their way to us and help people jump on the the bandwagon of spiritual leadership so we can make a difference in our world in this unique space and place that God has put us during this time. So thanks again for joining me today, and I can't wait to join with you again next Monday on another episode of Lynch with a Leader. 
Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.